You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for mushroom marsala pasta with artichokes. This serves four to six. You need three tablespoons of olive oil, one small onion, finely chopped, one pound of mushrooms, trimmed, cleaned, and chopped into small bits. I used criminis, one teaspoon of kosher salt plus one tablespoon for pasta water, one cup of dry marsala wine, one pound of pasta. Gianna recommends thimble-shaped pasta, ditalini, but I think I used snail-shaped or chio. Chilio, <laughs> C-H-I-O-C-C-I-O-L-E. You need um, one half pound of frozen artichoke hearts thawed, three quarters cup of grated Parmesan, one half cup of cream, one half cup of flat-leafed parsley, one teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper. You're going to place the olive oil in a large heavy skillet over medium-high heat. Going to add the onions and cook for one minute. Add the mushrooms and one teaspoon of salt, then saute, stirring occasionally until all the moisture has evaporated and the mushrooms have cooked down about 10 minutes, though this took me much less time. Add the marsala and continue cooking until almost all of the wine has evaporated. That'll be about five minutes. Meanwhile, bring a large pot of water to a boil over high heat, stir in the remaining salt, add the pasta and cook until tender but still firm to the bite, stirring occasionally about 8 to 10 minutes. Drain pasta and add it to the mushrooms, marsala, and onions. Add the artichoke hearts, parmesan, and cream, and cook until the artichokes are heated through, about 5 minutes. Stir in the parsley and pepper, then adjust seasonings to taste. Transfer to a serving bowl and serve. Uh, This was updated I haven't made this for years, and I dusted it off tonight. Conclusion, I think I'd actually like this better with twice as many mushrooms and no artichokes. I'm, that's shocking to me, because Deb loves artichokes. <laughs> I mentioned above that I thought it needs some lemon or acidity. Actually, artichokes do. Mushrooms and marsala sauce are perfect together, and after all, I'd rather save the artichokes for a more lemony pasta sauce. Well, there you go. So depends on what sounds good to you. I'd give it a I'd give it a try either way. Next recipe for also from Smitten Kitchen is for acorn squash with chili lime vinaigrette. This looks so pretty. It makes me want to cry. It's got orange and red with the green rind with some little topping of um I don't know what that is. We'll find out in the recipe, but it looks really pretty. A firm believer in balance or some fumbling approximation of it. If I tell you about the bewildered, exhausted, and terrifying, it's only fair that I tell you today, a day I was certain was Monday the whole day long, and as in, hey, why is the Times updating their food section a day early? (laughs) Was a knock-it-out-of-the-park great day. Sparing you all the driveling details, suffice it to say that there has been a raise, bragging rights, and even the ability to make someone else's day. I took this string of greatness to the store, Not jeans, of course. I know better than to rub my luck in the face of the narrow-hipped crowd. Where I found a sweater I suspect I love enough to wear until it's threadbare 
and a pair of heels that, cross his fingers, that they will continue to, almost feel comfortable. Although I initially eschewed our first taste of it in August, I'm unbelievably excited that fall is here, especially now that September and October have been so very kind to let us hang out on open-toed, cardiganed existence for all of these bonus weeks. Guilty as charged. I've been busy cooking and eating things I haven't photographed, and I'm here now to confess my food blogging sins so we can all move on to the things that I wasn't so remiss about. Last Thursday night, in celebration of the arrival of two of the most fiercely sharp and stunning knives from two of the most fiercely sharp and stunning friends, I made Molly's version of one of my favorite dishes, the Mighty Onion Tart. The last time I made an onion tart, that time a la Julia Child, I diced in some bacon and gruyere, but this time there was none of that and I loved it more. Some people enjoy finding extra flavors to tuck into dishes. I get excited when I find out they taste just as good with less. The only thing I altered was that I added a pinch of cayenne, not enough to make you grimace, but enough to occasionally prod you awake from your sweet buttery coma. Being awake is important when your dinner tastes this good, and there are crumbs, delicate crumbs, that need attending to. Sunday night brought us sweet potatoes and Brussels sprouts from the Abington Square Farmer's Market, as well as field greens, so good in a salad. I'm just going to announce right now that I'm going to try, at least try to not buy bagged or boxed ever again. The Brussels were roasted with olive oil and salt until crispy and flaky like phyllo on the outside and nutty on the inside. The potatoes were wedged and sprinkled with this blend of spices that if you're like me, you'll probably assume you'll hate, but then you'll like it so much you'll have to consider your relationship with fennel and cilantro. Only good things could come of this. It should be noted that everything we bought at the market was grown in New Jersey, like me. So I must arrogantly presume that that's why they were so good in every way. Now that we're all caught up with the unphotographed, and I've hopefully whetted your appetite, two more things to consider. Roasted acorn squash wedges with chili lime vinaigrette, and roasted haricover with toasted acorn squash seeds. Finding a stash of energy where I was certain it was depleted, I cooked these things at an illogical 9 p.m. tonight while my husband played volleyball. He didn't win. Do not ask. I know eating dinner at 10.45 p.m. is ridiculous, irresponsible, and obviously badly planned. But you know what? I'll take a perfect dinner at the very end of a perfect day over average takeout on a well-timed, terrible day anytime. And I suspect that you would, too. Maybe even tomorrow, you know, because I have a sneaking suspicion that it's your turn next for an uber-spectacular one. So here we go, roasted acorn squash with chili lime vinaigrette. This was adapted from Gourmet way back in October of 2006. This makes four servings. You're going to need two one and a half to one and three quarter pound acorn squash, one half of a teaspoon of black pepper, one teaspoon salt, six tablespoons of olive oil, one garlic clove, one and a half tablespoons of fresh lime juice or to taste, one to two teaspoons finely chopped fresh hot red chili, including seeds, two tablespoons of chopped fresh cilantro. Put the oven racks in the upper and lower thirds of oven and preheat oven to 450 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Have the squash lengthwise, then cut off and discard the stem ends. Scoop out seeds and cut squash lengthwise into three-quarter inch wide wedges. And then toss the squash with black pepper, three-quarter teaspoon salt, and two tablespoons of oil in a bowl. Then arrange cut sides down in two large shallow baking pans. Roast the squash, switching position of pans halfway through roasting until the squash is tender and the undersides of the wedges are golden brown. That'll be about 25 to 35 minutes. While squash roasts, you're going to mince your garlic and mash to a paste with the remaining one quarter teaspoon salt. Transfer the paste to a small bowl and whisk in lime juice, chili to taste, cilantro, and remaining one quarter cup of oil until combined. Transfer the squash, brown sides up to a platter and drizzle with vinaigrette. That sounds really lovely and I think pretty healthy. Next, this is also a beautiful dish, asparagus and egg salad with walnuts and mint. I think that sounds like a really interesting combination. Also from Smitten Kitchen, I found my new favorite spring salad, spring lunch salad, while I was hiding from a pot of brisket, which is the kind of thing that happens three days after Passover. Day one, which is actually day two or three after you've cooked the brisket, because you know I'd never lead you astray, right? Day one is lovely. My goodness, why don't we eat long-cooked, saucy slabs of beef more often? Day two isn't so bad either, albeit a touch less enthusiastic. Yay, brisket! Day three is, my God, this isn't natural. Nobody should eat this much brisket. What am I going to do? I cannot waste food. It's too long into the brisket's lifespan to freeze it now. And my thoughts turn to the vibrant green asparagus stalks we had with it. And that brisket was instantly relegated to a side dish. That sounds like a good solution. I wasn't even a bit surprised that I found inspiration for asparagus in the Six Seasons cookbook. Have you bought it yet? I know this is awfully bossy of me, but I think you should. I think that if you, like me, delight in inventive but not overly complicated vegetable preparations, 225 of them even, things you hadn't thought of but that you'll immediately tuck into your repertoire, you're going to love this book as much as I do. I confess I've had it for almost a year. In that year, I've been almost overwhelmed with how much I've wanted to cook from it. A favorite so far has been the comfortable cabbage and farro soup with parmesan and lemon, almost to the point of paralysis, which is as ridiculous of a first-world problem as having too much brisket to eat. But here we are, and at least one impasse helped resolve another. So let's talk about this dish. It's been so long since we did an asparagus salad, and only one has been raw. A shame because thinly sliced asparagus is almost sweet and not dry or woodsy at all. Previously, I've just ribboned it with a peeler. This is easier, more satisfying, crisp, and less fragile, too. The original recipe uses breadcrumbs to enhance the crunch. I skipped them because I pictured this on toast or crackers, but I miss them and miss them so little. I don't think I'd add them back in even, even in eating straight from the bowl as I'm about to do this minute. But I added the eggs. I call these medium cooked eggs. Feel free to use fully hard boiled ones if that's what you've got uh, idling in your fridge. But I find these more interesting. They're not runny, but they're not yet fully set or opaque in the center either. 
They um, amount to tender oases in a crunchy salad. All of the flavorful bits stick to them versus fully hard-boiled eggs whose insides crumble and stick to everything else. I was suspicious of the lemon zest and mint, and they're my two favorite parts. Don't skip them at all. Finally, as might already be clear, I didn't wait until asparagus season in New York to try this, as McFadden would have wanted us to do. I have given up, just given up. It snowed in April and might again after the week is out. When the asparagus shows up at the market, I'll make it again and realize everything this salad is missing. But right now, when the grocery store is the greenest place I know, I couldn't imagine another more perfect use of what is there. Here's the recipe. Asparagus and egg salad with walnuts and mint. Servings for time 15 to 30 minutes. Source six seasons, a new way with vegetable. Is this a good place to admit that I'm not an asparagus snapper? This idea that the asparagus knows exactly where to snap to separate the tender parts from the woody ends defies what I've experienced, which is that asparagus will snap halfway between your hands no matter where you place them. The asparagus snapping truthers are going to come in for me in the comments. I hope they're kind. I like McFadden's suggestion more. Choose one stalk from the bunch and snap or trim it to the right spot, and then line up the remaining stalks and cut them to the same point. I believe in toasting nuts anytime you're going to use them, and especially here. I am not crazy about grating Parmesan with a microplane zester. I find it yields fluffy clouds that can disappear in food and are often half the amount of cheese that you'll need for good flavoring. I have all the unpopular opinions today, I know. You can peel your eggs under running water if needed, but I find when I begin with cold eggs and plunge them into cold water as soon as I want them to stop cooking, the shells come off very easily and was delighted to see this backed up by science. And there's a link at smittenkitchen.com. You're going to need four large eggs cold from the fridge, one half cup of grated Parmesan cheese, one half cup of finely chopped, lightly well-toasted walnuts, one teaspoon of finely grated lemon zest, kosher salt and finely ground black pepper, dried chili flakes, one pound of asparagus, any thickness, tough ends trimmed, about one half cup of fresh lemon juice, one quarter cup of lightly packed fresh mint leaves, chopped, and one quarter cup of olive oil, preferably extra virgin. Bring a small or medium pot of water to boil, gently lower in the eggs and reduce heat to a simmer. Boil for eight and a half minutes, then quickly transfer the eggs to an ice cold water bath. Leave them there while you prepare the other ingredients, but ideally at least 10 minutes. Place Parmesan, walnuts, and lemon zest in the bottom of a large bowl, along with one teaspoon of salt, many grinds of black pepper, and about one half teaspoon of chili flakes, or more or less to taste. I used half because kids. Stir to combine. Then you're going to cut the asparagus on a sharp angle into very thin slices and add to the Parmesan mixture. Add one quarter cup lemon juice and toss some more. Taste and adjust the flavors to your preference by adding more salt, black pepper, chili flakes, or lemon juice, and go a little bit heavy so the flavors don't disappear once you add the eggs. Add mint and olive oil, toss, adjust the seasoning again. Peel your cooled eggs, 
That's interesting. Oh, okay, they're just talking about the eggs. They're referring to them in the future. <laughs> Peel your cooled eggs, cut in half, then uh, cut each half into six to eight chunks. Add to the bowl with asparagus and give it one or two gentle stirs. I don't want to get them too mashed up here. So you can eat it as is or scoop onto six to eight toasts or three large, um, large matzah sheets halved into six or more manageable toasts, quote-unquote. Obviously, this would negate the gluten-free categorization. This was uh, is a gluten-free recipe if you do not use matzah. Although I think I've seen gluten-free matzah, so just be aware of that. Next, we got a recipe, baked chickpeas with pita chips and yogurt. Nothing against barbecue-style baked beans, all tangy sauce and full of smoky burn-in drippings. Hi, Summer. Get here, please. Quick. But I hardly see why navy beans have to get all the fun. Where are the baked kidney beans, baked black beans, and gigantes? Baking is a phenomenal way to cook dried beans and get a great way to make something more complex of canned ones. When you start considering the flavors, the sky, nay the globe, is the limit. I want these red beans slow-baked in a big casserole, scooped with tortilla chips. I want baked black beans heaped over testones, braised white beans over Catalan-style tomato bread. And I want what we had for dinner last night for the first time all over again because it was perfect. In an attempt to wean myself from my ongoing obsessive fixation on all things Tex-Mex, taco, tortilla, fajita, and quesadilla, I didn't get as far as it might seem. Sure, I spiced my baked chickpeas with Middle Eastern spices, but once I'd scooped them onto oven-crisp pita chips, dolloped it with lemon tahini yogurt sauce, a finely chopped tomato cucumber salad, well-toasted pine nuts, hot sauce, and a fistful of chopped parsley, I realized I'd basically made Middle Eastern nachos, and I'm not even a little bit sorry. Because this was one of our best dinners in ages, I'm struggling to control my gushing here, to be honest. I'm so glad I found or made a full pound of beans so we can have more for tonight. It was the kind of vegetarian meal, and can be vegan too if you omit the yogurt, that you totally forgot was vegetarian because it was incidental. It's playful and fun to lay out many elements and let everyone pile them on as they see fit. Because it was crunchy and fresh, but also warm, fragrant, and insanely filling, it felt like the perfect meal to bridge the heavy foods of winter and the brighter ones to come. More of this, please. So here we go for baked chickpeas with pita chips and yogurt. My baked chickpea curiosity began many years ago when Amanda Hesser shared a recipe in the New York Times from a Basque cookbook for baked garbanzos in 1999. Yes, I'm old. I'd forgotten about it until the Times relaunched their cooking selection last fall, but it was thrown by the need for saffron threads, which are expensive to procure and likely meant that most people wouldn't make it. So I got to thinking about what other cultures and flavors could be applied and landed in the Middle East. In short, it's not the first time I've gone all the way around to realize later I was making something that already existed, a dish known as fateh, F-A-T-T-E-H. Note, to make this gluten-free, make your chips from gluten-free wraps or pitas. To make this vegan or dairy-free, make a lemon tahini sauce minus the yogurt. It can be thinned with water once you get the lemon level where you like it. 
and this serves six generously if eaten nacho style. For the chickpeas, you need one pound of dried chickpeas, garbanzo beans, uh, or four 15-ounce cans of cooked chickpeas, one quarter cup olive oil, three medium yellow onions, halved and thinly sliced, three cloves of garlic, peeled and minced, two teaspoons of ground cumin, two teaspoons of ground coriander, one teaspoon of paprika or sumac, one half teaspoon cayenne, spoonful of harissa, or a couple of shakes of your favorite hot sauce, few gratings from lemon zest, fresh, two teaspoons of coarse sea salt or kosher salt, four cups of vegetable broth, and one cup or more of water. Uh, Back to the four cups of vegetable broth, that's for dried but soaked chickpeas, and you'll just need one and a half cups of vegetable broth for cooked chickpeas. Um, for the fixings, all instructions are below. You're going to need fresh pitas for pita chips or a big handful of parsley, quarter cup of pine nuts, tomato, cucumber, relish salad, lemon tahini yogurt or plain yogurt, additional paprika or sumac for sprinkling. Um, soak the dried chickpeas. Do you have to soak your beans before you cook them? No. But it'll save a lot of cooking time, making this more of a one-hour weeknight meal. So if you plan ahead, soak them in an ample amount of water at room temperature for 24 hours. If you don't have 24 hours, I soaked mine for three. I'll make the final cooking time estimations based on soaking times. If you're using canned beans, you can skip this step entirely. Okay, prepare your chickpeas. You're going to heat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit in a large heavy pot, such as a Dutch oven. Um, Mine was four quarts. That was ideal. Heat olive oil in the bottom of the pan over medium-high heat and add onions and cook for five minutes until they begin to soften. Add garlic and saute garlic and onions together for three to four minutes more till everything's wilted. Add spices, zest, salt, and cook with onions and garlic for one minute. Add drained, soaked, or canned chickpeas. And for already cooked or canned chickpeas, use one and a half cups broth. For dried chickpeas that have been soaked, four cups of broth. For dried chickpeas that have not been soaked, four cups of broth and one cup of water to start. Bring the mixture to a boil and boil for one minute. Place a lid on the pot and transfer it carefully to the oven. Bake your chickpeas. Please keep in mind that cooking beans isn't a perfect science, and the amount absorbed if pre-soaked or not, the age and freshness of the chickpeas, and even the softness of ones from a can are going to affect how much cooking time and liquid is needed. But these estimates are fairly solid from my experience. For already cooked or canned chickpeas, bake for 15 minutes. For dried chickpeas that have been soaked, bake for 45 minutes to 75 minutes. For dried chickpeas that have not been soaked, bake for 1 hour 30 minutes, but start checking in every 10 to 15 minutes from 50 minutes on to see if more liquid or cooking time will be needed. Chickpeas are done when they are firm tender. Meanwhile, prep your fixings. While the chickpeas bake, prepare any fixings that caught your eye. To make pita chips from store-bought pitas, you're going to separate the layers of pitas and cut into wedges. Range on a large baking sheet and brush lightly with two tablespoons of olive oil and sprinkle with salt. Bake alongside the chickpeas for 10 to 15 minutes, tossing occasionally to ensure that they toast evenly, and then let those cool. 
To toast pine nuts, you're going to spread the nuts on a baking sheet and toast them in the oven while the chickpeas bake for five minutes, tossing once or twice as they like to toast even unevenly, and then let those cool. To make a cu- tomato cucumber relish salad, you're going to chop a handful of whatever decent-looking tomatoes you can find in March and one large or fewer smaller cucumbers into very pieces. Um, very small pieces, sorry. Chop them into very small pieces. Finally, chop one quarter of a small red onion, mix the vegetables and onion in a bowl, and dress to taste with olive oil, fresh lemon juice, salt, and pepper. To make the lemon tahini yogurt, you're going to whisk six tablespoons of well-stirred tahini in the bottom of a bowl, whisk in the juice of a whole lemon, one minced garlic clove, and four tablespoons of water until smooth, whisk in one cup of plain yogurt, about one quarter cup at a time until smooth, season with salt, and then just all levels to taste. Serve and let everyone assemble. We started with a handful of pita chips on our plan, then heaped on the baked chickpeas, dolloped on the yogurt sauce, tomato cucumber relish salad, sprinkled everything with parsley and pine nuts, and then a couple of us also shook on some hot sauce. (laughs) Dig in. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.